Pittsburgh. Eighty-four lumber helping you build the right way since nineteen fifty-six, giving you the four o'clock hour of the Mark Madden show. And you might have seen the news over the weekend. Mark Cabali tweeted about this at the Athletic that Ben Roethlisberger got visibly frustrated with Juju Smith-Schuster because Schuster ran the wrong route at least once, if not twice, during practice, and Ben was heard muttering, his head just isn't in it today. Shortly thereafter, Juju left practice with what was described as some sort of knee or thigh injury or something like that. So he's banged up, AB is banged up, and you might have heard as well on the DVE Morning Show last week that Ben Roethlisberger said... Uh, quite proudly, actually, that he hasn't thrown a pass yet to James Washington. That James needs to work his way up and beyond some of the other guys on the depth chart. Ah, let's start taking a look, shall we? I don't know if Juju got too much too fast, but I agree with the premise that Mark keeps tweeting about, which is he seems to feel that it's a lot more important to be lit than to be good right now. And James Washington is about 180 degrees the opposite direction in terms of approach. He is not self-promoting. He is not look at me as a wide receiver. You know, the farmer, as everybody is starting to call him, has that kind of mentality when he's on the field, and I think he's going to be damn good, and I want to see Ben Roethlisberger throwing the football. You didn't get James Washington in the second round to be behind Justin Hunter and Darius Hayward Bay just like they didn't get Juju Smith-Schuster to be behind everybody else and have him be on the bench and have him be a healthy scratch long-term. They wanted to see him contribute because they knew they probably weren't going to have Martavis Bryant probably beyond last season, which turned out to be the case. They might not have known what they had right away in Juju, but it turned out to be a lot. I think that could be the case with James Washington and whether this is the excuse that Roethlisberger was looking for to throw him a ball or two in practice, I want to see it keep happening. I want to see that continue. I want to see James Washington be integral to this offense moving forward, whether it's in the preseason, just in practice, both. But I want to see him woven into game plans by the time the regular season hits here in 2018. Tim Ben's in for Mark today, and if you heard Mark earlier when he was on, He told you that he thinks the Steelers are going to drop back a few games, and I'm on board. We put a web poll out there before the show started. Where do you think the Steelers will be at the end of 2018? And last time I checked, only about 10% of you said that they're going to be at 13-plus wins again. Now, correspondingly, I think it was only 6% said that they would be 8 wins or fewer. So most of you in the middle, but two-thirds of respondents, roughly 66%, 63%, I believe, you told me that you think they're only going to miss a game or two from last year's total, that they're going to be an 11 or 12 win team. I think the drop is going to be more substantive than that. I think the drop is going to be more prodigious than that. I think they're going to be a 10 win team. I think they'll win the AFC North. I don't think they get the bye. I think they're going to have to go the hard way through the playoffs to get back to the AFC Championship game. And right now, if you maybe put money on it, I don't think that they will. I think the absence of discussion in training camp about New England is for real circumstances, not just because they're trying to do a better job on focusing on everybody else, but because, well, they know right now that they're much more in the class of the rest of the AFC than they are in a class with the New England Patriots. 
333-9939. You can agree or disagree, but I do see the Steelers with the preseason looming on Thursday slipping one or two games, actually make it three games off of their win total from last year. 10-6 and six is where I've got them pegged. You can give me a higher or lower prediction if you want. You can also tweet at Tim Benz PGH and vote on the web poll. Now, two things about the offense beyond James Washington that I found to be kind of interesting discussion points, and they both focus around Le'Veon Bell. If you heard the interview that we played with Randy Feetner on Friday of last week, I want you to tell me if this is smart or not, what the Steelers are doing. If you would do this the same way, because I'll be honest with you, I would do this the way the Steelers are doing it, but I know some of you disagree. Based on what I heard from the Steelers' new offensive coordinator, Randy Feetner, in our interview, when I asked him, will you be using some of the running backs with an eye towards next year Knowing that Le'Veon Bell likely won't be here after 2018, he couldn't have shot that question down faster. He couldn't have swatted away that premise more quickly. He made it sound like it was 2018 or bust in any and all ways. So that means to me that you're not going to get an extra look at James Conner. That means to me that you're not going to get extra carries for Conner because they want to see what he is as a running back. And I've heard a lot of people out there say that there should be some opportunity taken by the Steelers to use Connor more because you got to know what James is. you got to know if Connor can be an every-down running back when Lev leaves after 2018. I disagree. I'm more on board with Feetner. I say you use Le'Veon Bell every bit as much as you did last year and you did the year before. You use him while you got him because let's be real about this. I don't think when they drafted James Conner, they thought they were getting Lev Bell's replacement. I think when they drafted James Conner, they were thinking they were going to get a compliment to Bell, an emergency replacement for Bell, a guy who could lighten the load for Bell. They weren't getting his replacement. You know, there's even some debate as to whether or not Mason Rudolph was drafted to be Ben's replacement. But I believe that a heck of a lot more than I believe that Connor was drafted with two years in advance with an eye towards him being a starter. You know, I know some Pitt fans hear that and probably take umbrage with that and think that Connor can be the guy and everybody's buzzing about how much of a great camp he's having. And even Feetner did that. Feetner raved about how well James Connor has been playing in training camp. So I'm not diluting his efforts to get better from last year. And I'm not suggesting that he's a bust. I'm just saying he is what he is. A mid-round pick that was drafted for depth, that was drafted as a compliment. I don't think they have a thought in their mind right now that James Conner is going to be the guy to replace Le'Veon Bell as the starting running back in 2019. Again, agree or disagree at 412-333-9939, but I don't think you give James Conner extra reps and extra carries just for look's sake. I don't think you do that for a scouting perspective with him. I think the next running back of the Pittsburgh Steelers is playing in college right now. And he's a first-round or second-round draft choice. Or maybe a pending free agent. But at this point, with the way that Bell and Todd Gurley have rejiggered the market, you probably don't want that, do you? You don't want the Steelers going out and spending what could be, for the first time in a long time, lots of cap space that they could use in other directions on guys that are going to play running back. Why would you do that? If you're going to spend money on the running back position, then you do it on Le'Veon Bell. You don't do it on a free agent-to-be. Their next running back right now is in college. It's not going to be Bell on a long-term deal, and it's not going to be James Conner replacing Lev.
Connor's still going to be here, and I think Connor might be the guy out of camp or might be the token starter to start the year. But be, just based on what Randy Feetner said there, I think that was an illuminating quote. This isn't about let's see what the new guy behind James or behind Lev might be and let's see if it's James or Steven Ridley or Fitz Toussaint or any of those guys. They're not, that's not even in their thinking right now. Another thing I want to bring up about Bell, and I don't know why this necessarily kicked into my brain aside from we're doing some Penguins history stuff over at Trib Live. If you missed it, this is the anniversary or actually the birthday for uh, Herb Brooks was it yesterday. Yesterday, I believe, was Herb's birthday. So I was doing some Penguins history stuff and just looking through names. And uh, recently we did a story about Yager. And I'm, I'm trying to think. When Le'Veon Bell leaves, how are we going to think about him? And really, because I was thinking about the distaste that people have for Bell, and he's still got one more year to go here. And and honestly, I think one of the most fascinating things about what's going to take place in 2018 for the Steelers is how the fan base views Le'Veon Bell and how they back him or how they don't. Because I remember... During the course of Yager's last season, especially on the way out the door in the playoffs, he couldn't have been more vilified. He couldn't have been more negatively viewed. He couldn't have been more excoriated going out the door. You know, all the anger about how he handled himself as a captain and how he, he handled himself towards Ivan Lincoln, not because he was gone. People understood why the trade happened. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about his behavior, his poutiness, his moodiness during the playoffs, how he was as a perceived leader until Mario came back. You couldn't find anybody to say a good thing about Yarmir Yager. And then, as time went on, I feel like, All wounds have been healed. Now he's like this lovable figure that everybody wants to bring back. And when's the Yager statue going to get built? And aren't they going to retire his number? And is there going to be a Yager night before he leaves hockey for certain? Are we ever going to allow ourselves to get there with Bell? Because in a weird way, I feel like it's already happening with James Harrison. I, I felt like James Harrison, you couldn't have found a guy to leave the Steelers or leave the city of Pittsburgh with any sort of more angst, animosity, or bitterness than James Harrison. And then he says, you know what, Belichick's a better coach than Tomlin, and we love him again. He, he shows up the Brett Kiesel sheer the beard thing, and people are cheering for him. You know, I feel like we forget awful quickly these, ga- these days when it comes to bitterness and angst towards former athletes. Like... Are we going to ever allow ourselves to view that way about Le'Veon Bell? If Le'Veon Bell goes on and has a Hall of Fame career, if he goes to the Jets or to the Browns or, or to the San Francisco 49ers, do we allow ourselves to appreciate Lev Bell for who he was when he was here? Or is he always going to be a guy who just put up stats and never won a championship? And for the love of God, I hope he found his GameCube controller that he was tweeting about yesterday. So long as, again, he's on the important stuff. 412-333-9939. Let's go to Chris, who's calling from Grove City. Hi, Chris. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 hey, The X. Tim, how's it going? Good. Uh, just, uh, yeah, just a thought about, about Bell. I, you know, I, I think this year could, could be potentially ugly. And I say that because, you know, you talked about Yager. There's other examples. Your Pittsburgh fans are, they're really intolerant 
of guys who seem like they're me first. And, you know, the reality of professional athletics is everybody has to go out there and, and, and fight management sometimes to get theirs. But as soon as it turns into kind of a holdout, a selfish thing, Pittsburgh fans are really rough. And then I see, on the other hand, where I think Le'Veon Bell is going to be the time to, you know, kind of milk that, be a little bit of a, this is a, you know, not a, not a perfect word. He's going to be a little bit of a bait. Oh, yeah, he's going to push back because he's pushed back in social media. And thanks for the call, Chris. I think you put it in pretty decent perspective because if you look at the seasons, like the season that Yager had on the way out, the season that Bell is going to be in in this walk year, the season that Barry Bonds had in his last year in Pittsburgh, it was all sort of the same thing. The Pirates, Penguins, and Steelers were all sort of in that mix of they've been contending for a while, but they hadn't won one in a bit. And those guys were all in their last seasons, and it got bitter when it became clear that they probably weren't going to get over the hump and do it again. And Bell has always been good in person, but there was never any social media for Barry Bonds or for Yaramir Yager back then. And that's where things have gotten sticky with Bell and the public. And I could see this season for him going very similarly to those examples I just pointed out. 412-333-9939. Zach, Doug, uh, we got one line open if you want to get in on this right now. I-, I think it's fascinating how this last season is going to go for Bell and Pittsburgh. I want to continue talking about it. Matt Williamson will join us later this hour at about 4.30 or so. More calls on this and some other football news to pass along to you. We come back as well. Tim Benson from Mark Madden. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark. Hey. How you doing, buddy? Let me check. Let me see what I'm wearing today. Yep, my shoes cost more than your house. The X at 105.9. I just double-checked to make sure I had this right. I thought Yager won the Art Ross in 2001. He did. Uh, Barry Bonds did win the MVP in 92. I was aware of that. And I'm just sort of drawing the parallel here. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden today. 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. About what could be a walk year for Le'Veon Bell, and how is that going to go compared to two other stars and the two other sports in town that I think are akin talent-wise to what Lev Bell is? You know, probably better than Bell. Yager and Bonds were better at their sports than Bell is, but Bell is really, really good, the best at his position over the past few years, and now this could be it for him in Pittsburgh, and everybody knows it, and the teams are very much in the same spot as those clubs were. The Pirates were constantly close, not over the hump. The Penguins had gotten in that lull after they had won a couple Stanley Cups. Lemieux comes back. They weren't quite the best team in the conference, but they thought they might get over the Devils. They didn't. So there's a lot of parallels to be seen between their situations and Bell's situation. And when it comes to money, when it comes to inherent distrust or at times dislike of the player, there are a lot of things that are similar, and those seasons got tense. I want to know how you think it's going to go for Lev here in 2018. 412-333-9939. Let's go to Justin, who's calling from Greensburg. Hi, Justin. You're on 105.9 The X. Justin, you there? Uh, re- yeah. You go ahead. Me? Yep, go ahead. All right. I mean, I think from the standpoint of him being a player, he's, you know, the best, if not the best in the league. But the issue is the money, for one. And I think we will be seeing him as, you know, what could have been if he leaves Pittsburgh. Because if he ends up leaving, he's going to end up going somewhere where obviously he's going to get paid. But you need more than just the running back. I mean, we have a good line. He's going to go to some team, you know, like the Browns 
or San Francisco or a team that isn't as solid as we are, and his number's going to go down. It's inevitable. And I just feel, you know. But as we've been saying for Lev, as we've been saying about Lev for a long time, though, if his numbers go down and he wins a championship, that's more important, right? So, like, if he goes to San Francisco. From his perspective. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not from his perspective, but from our perspective. So, like, we shouldn't care if his numbers go down. He ends up going to San Francisco and helps Garoppolo win at Super Bowl someday, right? Like that that should him, that should actually make us angry, correct? You'd think so. Yes, but I mean if if he's going to if he's going to risk, you know, to win the championship and take the money and go to a different team as opposed to basically probably being the best Steelers running back of all time, you know, he'd probably compete with Franco Harris there in the end when it's all said and done. If he'd rather do that, then you know what I mean? I think it is time to move on and and try somebody else. I mean, but I honestly don't think that his numbers are going to produce if he leaves Pittsburgh unless he goes to another top-notch team. That's my opinion. First of all, we all know the Steelers' best running back of all time was Walter Abercrombie. Thank you for the call. But, um, no, to your greater point, I've said this about Lev for a while now during these contract negotiations and all this bluster about how much money is enough. I, I just don't know... At what point, as an athlete, you look at a really good financial package to stay in a very good situation and say, nah, you know what, I need $2 million more. I need $3 million more. I would think that $13 million annual average value to stay in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger, that offensive line, and Antonio Brown would be enough for me. For me, it would be. But I'm not him. I do have a game controller he could use, though. Zach is calling from Adamsburg. Hi, Zach. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. Hey, I was calling. Um, you were talking about Levy on there, and uh, what I'm thinking is, you know, he he ends up leaving. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think all the, I think you were talking about Yager and Harrison. Those guys at one point were heroes to Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? And uh, Le'Veon hasn't done anything. I mean, he you know, don't get me wrong. He's obviously one of the best running backs in the league. But he hasn't done any. He's missed almost a full season other than suspensions and uh, been injured. And we haven't gotten to a Super Bowl with him. So if he leaves and goes somewhere else and wins the Super Bowl, I think... Uh, yeah, that's the one I thing. Think- Thanks, Zach. That's the big difference between Harrison and Yager when it comes to Bell, that those guys had championships when they left. Uh, Bonds did not. I think that'll be the most appropriate parallel the draw if things continue to go down the path that they have during this regular season uh not just from an anxiety standpoint between the player and the city during the year but also the fact that he never ended up winning a world series here doug is calling from Jeanette. hi doug you're on 105.9 hey, uh, hi there man thank you yeah. uh i believe uh Lebanon bell all he's done is he's messing up our rotation man to win another super bowl and uh i want to your opinion on this well, wait, hold on. What do you mean is messing up our rotation to win a Super Bowl? I don't know what you mean well, there. Because, I mean, not showing up, strip clubs, doing whatever. I mean, just messing, you know, everybody else is there. First of all, I don't mean to burst your bubble. If you don't think that the Steelers of 2008 and 2010 were in strip clubs, they I were because I saw them everybody there. Everybody else is at training camp then, you know? What's that? Everybody else at the training camp. Well, I saw them there in the regular season. Okay, <laughs> on on their Monday nights, going into their Tuesday off days. I I could I give you names. That. I also have one other question for you. Yeah. Okay, he wants to be paid as a wide receiver, correct, and a running back. Why not? Why not play him at the fourth wide receiver? Then James Conner is a running back. Why don't we check that out? 
Uh, that wouldn't be a terrible idea. In fact, I do think they did that once or twice last year. They should do more of it, to be frank. I, I like that. But he's not being asked to be paid as the fourth wide receiver. He's being asked to be paid as the at least second best wide receiver and the best running back. And that's where things get complicated. Uh, who's next here? Ryan calling from his car. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Tim. How you doing today? Good, thanks. Hey, uh, over the past, you know, Tomlin's tenure here, we've seen how he likes to use running backs and essentially just run the wheels off of these guys. I think after this year, Le'Veon might have a big drop-off no matter where he goes, whether it be the Jets, San Francisco. Because I think Tomlin, he, he, like I said, likes to just run the wheels off of these guys, and I can't see him being the same running back wherever he lands next. It's possible, but I also don't think that'll stop somebody from paying because they can talk themselves into thinking differently. Yeah, yeah, correct. So I think so. I think it's I think it's part of the course. Then let Tomlin run the wheels off this guy. See if we can't win a championship with him this year. And good riddance. Thanks for the call. I don't know how that's it, one of the interesting things about this. Actually, goes beyond twenty seventeen into twenty eighteen, in the sense that his epilogue after Pittsburgh might determine how he's viewed. If he goes and flops elsewhere then I think a lot of people are going to say, what a jerk. What a he should have just stayed here. He would have been better here. We would have taken better care of him during his franchise tag years. We would have lightened the load. He would have extended his, his career if he had just stayed. And if he goes off and he busts elsewhere, I think people will hold that against him. If he goes somewhere else and thrives and wins a Super Bowl and is still great, well, then it'll turn into, eh, they should have given him Tug Early money. And they should have bought him that new controller, too. Matt Williamson coming up next. We'll talk about this and more with him. Matt will join us with Steelers Training Camp on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Konnichiwa, bitches. Konnichiwa. Hi, Marco. I actually have a porn question for you. That right there, my friend, that's asking for trouble. The X at 105.9. It's the Mark Madden Show. Tim Benz in for Mark. Spending a lot of time here in the 4 o'clock hour talking about the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell. Joining me to do that is Matt Williamson. He is our football guru. You know him from SNR and from ESPN Pittsburgh, as well as WilliamsonFootball.com. Matt, let's pick up the conversation with you that we had going before the break, and that was about Bell and how you think Steelers fans will respond to him insofar as uh, you're a Penguin fan. You remember how things went down the stretch with Yarmir Yager in this last year, or his last year. Same thing with Barry Bonds in 92. Is it going to be like that, where we're watching a great player do fantastic things but just have the anxiety of knowing it's going to be his last year in town? Yeah, probably to some degree, you know, knowing Steeler Nation. However, you know, when it's week three or, you know, week four and some of that has been forgotten and he's been racking up 100-yard games and you're winning, they're going to be screaming, feed the ball to Bell. You know, I mean, he's still a high, high-quality player, a foundational piece of what should be an excellent offense. And I think they might kind of put their feelings on hiatus until they're eliminated eventually, whenever that is, even if it means winning the Super Bowl. Matt, I interviewed Randy Feetner here on the X a couple of days ago, in fact, on Friday before we got to the weekend, and he made it sound like there is nary a thought in the coaching staff's mind when it comes to getting extra looks at Ridley or Connor as potential replacements for Bell next year, that they are thinking singularly about 2018. I know that's what they're supposed to say. Do you believe them? 
And if so, is that basically saying we're looking at Connor still as just a backup or second running back and our future back is still in college right now? Yeah, that's how I look at it, too, is I think this preseason is really good for Connor, and he's certainly been flashing. He looks much better as a receiver, as a blocker. He's staying healthy. That's absolutely the key. I would imagine he gets a pretty big workload in the preseason, which is something you wouldn't do if you were looking at him to carry the load. I mean, they know Lev is looming. Um, But I'm with you. I I think that the replacement, assuming Bell plays elsewhere next year, isn't on the team. You know, it's Tevin Coleman or more likely a a draftable player next year. And certainly would be strong, though, if Connor looks like he can – string a few games together in the preseason and carry the load or be a stopgap guy until the rookie's ready or certainly if Bell goes down. I mean, because I do think that was one thing that remains still somewhat of a question mark was who's the number two for 2018? Because before this camp, I kind of looked at Connor and thought, I, I don't think you can trust him. I mean, every time you gave him any substantial carries, He went down, so he was very untrustworthy to me, but I think he's gaining the trust of all of us right now. I had a caller a few moments ago, Matt, who came up with not a bad idea, and I think maybe we saw it once or twice last year uh, to any sort of effect because of, like what you said, Connor, either not being trustworthy or injured. Um, But if he is able to stay out there and they do decide that they can trust him more, what about the thought of him in the backfield and Bell split out wide from time to time? I don't like that one, but I do like, obviously, Bell and Nix. But to take it a step further, I'm really intrigued with the thought of having Jalen Samuels and Bell in the same backfield. And here's why. I mean, if I put out Bell, Samuels, McDonald, Juju, Brown, most teams, I think, will absolutely play their base 3-4 or 4-3 against that. And the second you see it, Ben should check the empty, send everybody out wide, and he's going to get matchups all over the place to his liking. Samuels right now is not a great blocker. He's not even a good blocker. He is a work-in-progress blocker, but he looks like he's getting better. If you're going to get nickel, if you're going to get dime against that, I still think you've got some pretty big boys in the game to run the football in Bell's hands. You're making Samuels a blocker, which he isn't good at, but... He's still better at it than A.B. or or some wide receiver out there. He's still a 230-pound man, and he should get better in that capacity. Because I'm saying this because you look at the Shanahan offense, and they went out when Shanahan became the head coach with the Niners, they spent huge money on Kyle Juszczyk, a fullback. And he isn't Dan Kreider. He isn't Knicks or Lester. He's a multifaceted, do-it-all guy who really could be a Samuels-like player. And what the Niners do is they create a lot of problems with a fullback on the field who's not just a blocker. Matt Williamson with us from WilliamsonFootball.com as well as SNR and ESPN Pittsburgh, part of our Steelers coverage here across the street as well at DVE with, uh, down the hall at DVE with the preseason starting on Thursday night. I'll be on the pregame show a couple hours in advance of the game at 3 o'clock. What do you think we're going to see, Matt, preseason-wise from some of the rookies or some of these second-tier players? Has anyone caught your eye? Are there any position battles that you think will have a definite player emerge in that regard early in the preseason? Um, 
much more, much less so than other teams. Most things are settled here. There honestly is not many roster spots up for negotiation, which is a good thing for sure. However, every year Coach Munchak digs up some offensive lineman that none of us have ever heard of and turns him into a serviceable player. And I wonder if this year is going to be any different or not. I mean, by the second, you start watching the second half of games and. You know, some of those linemen are getting a lot of snaps, and then as in week two, week three, they're with running with the twos. That should be a big red flag or an alert saying there might be another pipeline undrafted free agent lineman coming down the, the stretch here for this team, which is an amazing thing that they have going. I really don't have much else. I mean, other than the draft picks, I mean, there's not a, a, a sleeper like Hilton was last year. To my recollection, there have been a couple guys that look good. But, you know, the game is when that will really show itself. What about Thomas, at inside linebacker, since there appear to be minutes to be had there? Yeah, he's interesting because if he was a, quote, clean prospect, I think he'd have probably been a third-round pick. He's a tall, angular, thin, highly athletic, highly recruited kid that ended up going to Florida State that fits today's NFL. He's a better athlete than the Vince Williams of the world. Ideally, I'd love to see him on the practice squad for a year, develop. I think he'd be a great special teamer in the meantime. Yeah, he's interesting, absolutely. He flashes, he can run, he can, you know, he can do a lot for you. The Steelers were 13-3 and last year. They had six games of meaning and then a seventh, if you count that last Browns game, that in essence were last possession games or even walk-off victories. They won all of those. Now, they lost two that you could call the same way with the Chicago Bear and New England Patriot games because of the Jesse James play. So how should I evaluate them in almost like baseball terms, Matt? You know how people talk about run differential, you know, point differential for the Steelers. My hunch is to say that this is a 13-win team last year that might be more like a 10-win team this year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if the over-under was a 13, I would clearly go under. The schedule's way harder this year, too. It's a tough road. I think the division's improved. But back to what you were saying about one-score games, one of my favorite publications that comes out, and it came out a week ago or so, is the Football Outsiders Almanac. And they go into that in great detail with a lot of teams, but specifically the Steelers, that one of their rules of thumb, which is really born true now for like the last 20 years, is if you win a if you win or lose a very high percentage of your one-score game, seven points or less, chances are you'll return to the mean. You know, like in this case, the Steelers will go probably 500 next year on those those type of games, which doesn't bode well. Or if it's the other way around, if you're one in seven in these games, most likely you'll go back to 500-ish because most teams in tight games are 500. However, there's two teams in the league that consistently win close games at a higher clip than every other franchise in the league, the Patriots and the Steelers. Probably isn't a coincidence. Probably because of the quarterback and the. I would imagine. I mean, they're not the only two good quarterbacks in the league over the last ten, twenty years, but they're strong organizations. They have good home field advantages. They don't fade as the game goes. Great quarterback play. I mean, it, it, it adds up. I mean, I'm kind of shocked Green Bay isn't one of them, but. Those two teams, more than any other, win those tight games that generally are 500 contests. Matt Williamson from WilliamsonFootball.com and again from the Steeler Radio Network and ESPN Pittsburgh. 
Uh, Matt, what do you think about Mason Rudolph and his development to this point? We had him on the show earlier today. I interviewed him up at training camp. Uh, he talked openly about some battles that he'd had last week, about balls getting knocked down at the line of scrimmage and kind of dismissed that, saying that's atypical of him, that it's never really been a problem for him in college. Uh, I think you and I talked about the amount of time he's had to throw on the run and move on the run in practice because of all those backup offensive linemen he's been playing behind. Randy Feetner says he kind of wants to see that because that's real football, and we'll see that, of course, with backup offensive linemen in the preseason. But if he gets in there behind the real offensive line for whatever reason for the Steelers, can we expect to see an uptick in how he does then in that context? Yeah, I mean, remember last year was the preseason of Josh Dobbs. You know, he got a bazillion snaps in those four games, which makes perfect sense because you know who Landry Jones is. You don't want to work, Ben. I absolutely think this will be the preseason of Mason Rudolph, and it absolutely should be. I would imagine a lot of it will be with backups blocking for him, but I, I think he's going to see so many snaps that he probably will see a snap at some time with the, at least the twos, if not the ones. Because why even play Landry Jones a high percentage at this point? And I think what we need to watch with him, or how we need to judge it, is, boy, he's making a very big adjustment. I mean, from the scheme he played into what he's playing with now, and who he's playing with and against, it's a very big adjustment. But I want to—I I will consider it a success if the preseason's over and we have a conversation saying, wow, Rudolph absolutely looked good enough that he could be a very competent and promising number two next year and maybe with the hope of becoming more if he continues his development. That, that, that's all we should really ask for over this next month. Finally, Matt, two things in the first preseason game. I want your thoughts on your guy, Lamar Jackson, what you took away from his initial performance, and the helmet rule and how it came into play quickly in game number one. It did come into play quickly, but I also bet that there was a little pressure to throw a few of those flags while they had a national audience. It was the only game on in town. Let's show everybody that this is for real. I hope it doesn't come into play as much as it did in that game, but I bet the preseason is littered with those calls to, quote, set the tone. Um, I absolutely love Lamar Jackson. He threw a bad pick. I didn't understand why he was their third quarterback to come into the game, even with Flacco not even dressing. It made little sense to me. He really played with some backups. But you saw the ability, too. I mean, there's clearly juice there. There's athletic ability. Throws the ball much better than people realize. Um, He hasn't changed my opinion at all. Matt, thanks. We'll catch up at training camp, all right? Yes, sir. All right, that is Matt Williamson and WilliamsonFootball.com. Look it up. Get all of Matt's work there. It's fantastic, and you can hear him on SNR as well as on ESPN Pittsburgh. And the DVE pregame show starts at 3 o'clock. Woo! Yes! 3 o'clock for a first preseason game. We're going to break down Josh Dobbs like he's going to feel uncomfortable being talked about. Speaking of making you feel uncomfortable, I'm sure Bob and I will figure out a way to do that next. Uh, he steps in for a few moments before the top of the hour. Then we've got to get back into that Le'Veon Bell topic because I've had people humming here on the phone lines. We'll do that in the 5 o'clock hour, too. Um, Mark Madden will stop by at 5.30 or thereabouts here on 105.9 The X.